Welcome to the STRU Podcast, your number one online hosting community, helping you achieve your goals through short-term rental investing. Now, here's your host, Richard Furtick. Welcome back to the STRU Podcast, and today I'm thrilled to have our guest, Darren Pettyjohn with Proper Insurance, and he's going to help us all understand exactly what we need to operate successfully a short-term rental business with proper coverage and insurance. Darren, thank you so much for joining us. Please do us a favor and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background and uh, go ahead and introduce proper insurance at the same time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Richard. I've watched some of your uh, short-term rental university uh, videos and, and been involved in your Facebook group for for quite some time. So I'm, I'm happy to do this podcast. Um, essentially myself, um, I got involved in insurance about 15 years ago, uh, graduated college and, and really didn't have a plan like most of us and somehow stumbled into the insurance world and uh, took a liking to it, uh, really understood it. And really, that's kind of where my career, my professional career, if you will, has been for the last 15 years. As far as proper insurance is concerned, I was actually working for a competitor of ours years ago. And at the time, we were the largest insurer of bed and breakfast properties in the United States. Uh, we had about 40% market share of all bed and breakfast properties in the U.S. And we started getting calls from the bed and breakfast owners who were switching from a traditional B&B to a vacation rental property, meaning that they would not be on site and that they would essentially be entrusting their property to someone else for a week or two weeks or three nights or whatever it is. And in the insurance world, it's different exposure because when you entrust your property to someone as a vacation rental, that, that's basically what you're doing. You're giving them the keys to your property for a week, uh, different exposure than a traditional bed and breakfast property where the owner is typically on site, there's food, there's alcohol, there's, there's different exposures. So this happened enough where we really got together and started thinking we should develop an insurance policy specifically tailored to short-term rental properties or at the time really traditional vacation rentals. So it got underway, it was okay. Um, still to this day, it's, it's a decent product, but uh, in 2014, I hooked up with my business partner. It's myself and my business partner that owns Proper Insurance. And we had some connections over at Lloyd's, uh, Lloyd's of London Market. And we essentially took what they had and really polished it up um, and added coverages that needed to be there and uh, developed this, this program, this product this policy, if you will, specifically for short-term rental exposure. So we've been off and running since 2014, had tremendous success. We've actually uh, written over 25,000 insurance policies since 2014 and um, off and running a, a successful insurance program. Awesome, congratulations. Now, I just wanna drill down a little bit on some of that because I think it's kind of interesting. When you talk about the differences between bed and breakfast and, and say vacation rental by owner or Airbnb, you said uh, multiple times that there's different insurance uh, risks. I think listening to that, that my guess is it's much higher risk when the owner's not there. And it's kind of like a bank with a mortgage. Um, to those that are uninitiated, they say, well, what's the difference? I'm buying the house and who cares if it's a second home or a vacation home, it's still my home. But I think that they've have enough enough experience where, you know, bad stuff happens, and they see that your second home becomes secondary as soon as you have to hold on to one. And so, what you're basically, I think, suggesting is that bed and breakfast with the proprietor in house monitoring the daily activities is a safer proposition than turning over the keys to a total stranger and just wishing them good luck. Um, yes and no, actually, and and we'll, we'll, well, that was my lead-in basically on on how proper insurance was developed. But I don't want to focus too much on bed and breakfast insurance because actually, really, what what we'll dig into is the difference between homeowners insurance and what proper insurance is offering. So 
from a traditional B&B standpoint and kind of why we developed this product, from a property standpoint, so it's important for your listeners to understand a fundamental concept right in the beginning here. There's two types of insurance that we're going to talk about. There's property insurance. And what that is, is that's the structure itself. That's the home or all the stuff inside of your home. So you are essentially insuring the property, something you can touch and feel. And then the other side is liability insurance. Essentially, because of your vacation rental, you could be found liable for someone's bodily injury, or actually you could be found liable for someone else's property damage. So two completely different things, property insurance, liability insurance. So from a B&B standpoint, <clears throat> from a property insurance standpoint, yes, it's, it's better it's actually better risk because the owner is on site. The owner is there maintaining, et cetera. But from a liability standpoint, um, it, it, it's actually a higher risk potentially because you know who spilled the milk when it's a vacation rental and someone took ownership of it for a week, um, it's pretty easy to say, well, they spilled the milk because they're the only one there versus the owners being there. So. Again, I don't really want to focus too much on the difference between bed and breakfast and what we're doing. The, the real focus should be on the difference between homeowners and landlord insurance and what we're doing. And, and you're exactly correct. Most people call it 2 million vacation rentals in the United States. 90% or more carry homeowners insurance, regular old homeowners on their property and the exposure is completely different for a short-term rental, um, 100%. So that's really the focus of the conversation, difference between homeowners and proper and what we're doing. Right, and, and I totally appreciate that. And I also would imagine that most people that think about insurance are generally mostly concerned about their property. And I would argue that what keeps me up at night is not the property, it's the liability. Good, absolutely, 100%. And I actually was involved in a disability insurance program years ago where we developed a specialty program um, for disability insurance, um, like AFLAC type program. And we would always ask people, what's your biggest asset? And they would always, nine times out of 10, say their home, my house is my biggest asset. And then we would come back and say, actually, it's not your biggest asset. Your ability to earn an income is actually your biggest asset. So if you were disabled, um, you wouldn't be able to work for say 20 years, that's gonna, that income that you're losing out on is gonna be much more than you know, your two, three, four hundred thousand dollar house, whatever it might be. And the same goes for insurance, you're exactly right. Because people can touch it and feel it. And the average homeowner who owns a property will file an insurance claim for property damage every seven years. That's the average across the United States for all property insurance. As far as liability, someone slipping or falling down your stairs or getting involved with an animal or a dog bite or a swing set or a swimming pool and all these kinds of liability things, you're exactly right. It's much, much less. In fact, a lot of people go, out, go throughout their entire life and, and never get sued and never have to deal with a true liability insurance claim. But it is your biggest exposure, Richard. You're 100%. Um, unfortunately, when you open your doors up as a short-term rental owner and you entrust your property to these paying guests, you're no different than a hotel and uh, there's a lot of liability exposure. <clears throat> yeah, and I think that that's probably where traditional insurance falls short. Um, insofar as if you were to file a claim, you had an antique rug and somebody spilled wine on it, I'm making this up, but it was worth $5,000 and you filed the claim, you may get paid back minus your deductible from the insurance company or they may not ask too many questions. But suddenly you have a slip and fall and somebody's out of work and they've got disability and all these medical bills and all that, it's gonna raise a lot of questions. And I had a situation when I first got started in, in long-term rentals, I had a multifamily in Brooklyn um, and it turned out it was an ambulance chaser type scenario, somebody who had sued many people many times and everything that they had claimed was basically just trying to get insurance money 
And um, my insurance company actually walked away from me and I had to sue my insurance company to have them represent me. You know, my entire thesis was, well, this is why I have insurance. This is why I've been making insurance payments. But they mm -hmm. went back and said, well, in the documents that you signed, you, you uh, agreed to notify us of any injuries like within, you know, a day or a week or whatever it was. And I didn't do that. And the reason I didn't do that was I just received some BS postcard that looked like something from a lawyer that didn't even reference a property address or a date. There was nothing informational. It just basically said, give this to your lawyer um, and your insurance company. I gave it to my lawyer and he made a bad decision and said, "We, you have many properties. We don't know which insurance company to give this to. So let's wait until we get more information. And on yep. that basis alone, when I got sued, my insurance company, what's it called, disclaimed it or um, something like that. Basically, they then sued me. So now I had two lawsuits going. I was suing my insurance company to represent me, and we were both battling against this person that uh, hired an ambulance chaser. Uh, and so that was my first eye-opening experience, which was, wait a minute, I'm making thousands of dollars of payments, but when I need you, you're not there for me. That's a great story, Richard, and such a good lead-in into what's going on in this industry. Um, and back to your case, it's called prompt notice, but they don't define prompt. So what your listeners need to understand, and everyone needs to understand, is that is that insurance is a contract. That's all it is, is it's a contract that you pay a premium for. And everything that could potentially be covered, whether it's hail damage or a broken water pipe or a slip and fall or bodily injury, every question that you could possibly imagine will be answered in that contract. And they're typically 50 to 90 to 100 pages long. Our contract is 93 pages long. And nobody reads it and nobody understands it. But in that contract that you had with your insurance carrier, there is a, a duty in the event of a loss. So there are defined things in that contract that say in the event that something happens, here's your responsibility as an insured. And they decided to pull that out of their black hat and deny your claim based on the fact that you did not give them prompt notice of the bodily injury. So Sorry to hear that, um, but that's kind of what we're dealing with, with these vacation rental properties. So if we go back before Airbnb, um, it really wasn't an issue because vacation rental destinations have been around forever. Whether it's Kihei, Maui, whether it's Hawaii, or excuse me, Florida, San Diego, Seattle, you know, these places, there's been vacation rental properties there for, for 100 years. But with the growth of the internet, and primarily with the growth of the acquisition of VRBO from HomeAway and, and Airbnb, every town in America now has vacation rentals. If you were to pull up Airbnb or HomeAway, and you were to type in um, Belgrade, Montana, you would find three to 15 short-term vacation rental properties in Belgrade, Montana. And that's because of this explosion in the industry. So from an insurance perspective, like you said, these minor claims that just kind of happened over the years, it just never came on their radar. But now there is plenty of cases out there where insurance companies are saying, look, you misrepresented a material fact which didn't allow us to properly underwrite your property we're not paying the claim. And insurance companies don't like to be misled. If they don't underwrite for it, Richard, here's the, here's the takeaway line for your listeners. If your insurance company is not underwriting, meaning asking questions about something, then assume that it's not covered. So if you have a swimming pool at your vacation rental property and your insurance company has not asked you do you have depth markers? Do you have a swim at your own risk sign? Do you have life safety equipment? 
then you're not covered if someone drowns in that pool of short-term rental gas. Plain and simple. Yeah, that's incredibly scary. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that, you know, nobody wants to have humans at risk um, and, you know, lose a business because of something like that. So I guess my question is this, um, the stuff that you're insuring is all the really scary stuff that the other companies don't insure. My guess is you're doing it not at a loss and not even at a break even, but at a profit. So if you're getting all the really scary, hairy stuff that nobody else wants to touch and you're doing it at a profit, how much more does this cost? Um, it must be really expensive, right? <laughs> and, and that's a good question. Um, I'm so glad you asked. When we develop the program, um, Lloyd's of London is the insurance carrier. So they actually pay the claims. So when we lost houses last year in California forest fires, when houses burn down, they write the checks to, to rebuild them. And the idea in the insurance game is to collect more premium than you pay out in claims. Pretty simple. And truth be told, we priced our product pretty close to homeowner's insurance the first two years. We really didn't know, is there going to be an increase in property damage claims? Is there going to be an increase in liability claims? And we lost money. <laughs> the, the first three years of our program, Lloyd's of London actually didn't make any money. They lost money. Um, but that's not untypical for a new insurance program because you need actuarial data. And now that we're into our fourth year, uh, we did have to raise our rates last year, actually, uh, upsetting to a lot of our clients, but most of them understood. And uh, we're trending pretty well this year for Lloyd's to make a small profit. Uh, but to answer your question, if you have a traditional homeowner's policy with building coverage contents liability, and let's say it's a thousand dollars a year annually, our policy is going to be fifteen, sixteen hundred annually. So significant increase in in premium. Um, but what we found is that uh, it's amazing how many people are willing to pay more premium um, once they understand the exposure they have, and they just feel good about having that Cadillac insurance policy because we built it on coverage. And as far as claims in the short-term rental space, what sort of actuarial losses are you guys seeing? Um, the normal stuff that you would think of, um, we've had to pay some fairly large um, vandalism party claims. When, when you've insured 25,000 properties and, and scaling uh, monthly here, yearly, you're going to run into those oddball things. So we have had to deal with some of that. Um, you deal with a little bit of backups of sewers and drains. We've had a couple of those claims that are related specifically to the renter, of course. Um, there are damage claims that make it more expensive from a property standpoint. But the other, what we've actually found too, is that you get a lot of concentrated risk in really nice areas. <laughs> and a lot of people don't know this, but the number one insurance claim is wind and hail damage with water damage being number two closely behind. So if you think of the uh, Tennessee and, and the uh, Appalachian Mountains and these beautiful areas, vacation rental properties are in nice areas and, and nice areas typically have a lot of claims uh they're on the coast so you have hurricanes and so it's just it, it's it's a higher risk book of business versus just insuring regular old properties in the middle of you know a neighborhood in in a, a random state if you will but we do we do see quite a bit of of uh of uh short-term rental specific claims, with the most being liability. Like you said, I actually just got a notification today. I like to be notified of uh, all of our liability claims that come through our program. I get a CC on uh, just to have a pulse on what's going on. And, and we just uh, got a letter from an attorney from one of our insureds that fell off a rope swing and uh, hit a stump and had a bad laceration, went to the hospital and it's looking like it's probably going to be settled for 60000 
is, is what we're thinking we'll settle, uh, the third party administrator is going to settle for. But that stuff happens all the time. And you're exactly right. It's really the liability that jacks up the premium. So in that particular case, let's just say that the, the insured didn't have proper insurance, but they had whatever, you know, name anybody else. Uh, do you think that they would deny that claim? Would they be asking questions about, um, you know, who was this person? Why were they on a rope swing or like what happens there? A hundred percent. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that State Farm, Allstate, Nationwide, USAA Travelers on down the list is would deny that claim. Um, however, could they legally deny it? Just like you had your claim denied. Technically, the so the burden of denial, the burden of proof, if you will, is on the carrier. So with insurance, essentially everything's covered unless it's excluded from your policy. And so it's their job to point out the section of your policy where it's not covered and say, sorry, we're not covering the claim. With your example, it was prompt notice after loss. Uh, with this example, they could potentially deny the claim through multiple sections of the policy. They could pull out language and say, we're not covering it. With the easiest and most obvious being business activity. So all homeowners policies across the entire United States have what's called a business activity exclusion, which means there's no property coverage or liability coverage if the property damage or injury is in relation to a business activity. So a very easy example, Let's say you're a woodworker and you build wooden furniture and you decide to build wooden furniture in your garage and you transition your garage into a little business and you have a customer that's coming over to pick up a wooden chair that they've purchased off your little website and they slip in your driveway, they get injured and they sue you. You would uh, file that claim and your insurance carrier would say no. We're not covering this because this was in relation to a business activity. You need to have business insurance. And so for this swing, is short-term renting your property a business or is it not? Uh, the answer is yes, it is a business. Most homeowners policies define a business activity as any financial compensation, $2,500 or more during the annual policy period. So that's almost everybody in the short-term rental space. Now, what about a commercial policy for like traditional long-term rentals? Well, that's what we did when we built our policy, Richard, is we did it as a commercial policy. So when people purchase proper insurance, they're actually buying a, a commercial policy. Uh, but it was very difficult to do because commercial policies are for businesses like a coffee shop or a grocery store or uh, an auto shop. And we're talking about single family homes, condos, duplexes, etc. And it, it doesn't quite fit. It's not designed for a home. So we had to endorse and tweak the policy in a lot of areas to essentially cover everything the homeowner's policy does, plus the commercial aspect as well. And business is business. It, it, I mean, again, we're defending that claim. You have a business insurance policy. There's, there's no gray area. There's obviously no business exclusion from business liability. Okay. And so how, how ironclad is Lloyd of London's commitment to proper insurance? Like what is their out clause? How much notice, you know? They're very happy with us. So Lloyd, the Lloyd's market is comprised of about 88 different companies or what we call syndicates. So they're essentially companies within the market of Lloyd's that uh, underwrite and insure things all over the world. And there's not a ton of growth in insurance. If you think of home, auto, business, um, I mean, outside of Uber, really, it, it's it's fairly saturated. You have some come, some go, and we've been on a growth pattern, obviously, and so we 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 kind of hit their radar 
where that's why we have such strong support is we've found the rates that we need to charge. They're happy with, with, with the program. Hopefully it makes them some money someday. Um, but they believe in it mainly because it's such a, a, a growth business and that's exciting to them where we could, we could write a lot of business across this program. But Lloyd's, Lloyd's, Lloyd's is awesome though. I mean, they, they, a lot of people don't know this, but Lloyd's is where insurance was invented actually. Um, prior to Lloyd's of London coffee shop in the 1600s, modern day insurance didn't exist. And what was happening is you had ships that were going back and forth between North America and Europe with tobacco and gold and different things. And a lot of these ships didn't make it. And so what they would do is people would get together and they would essentially gamble and, and they would say, okay, well, we'll guarantee you that this gold gets back. And if it doesn't, we'll pay an insurance claim of what the gold is worth or the tobacco was worth. And, and that's where insurance was born like 400 years ago. It's, it's pretty cool and it's still going today. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great company and I think their financial strength is, you know, legendary. But I guess my, my question is, you know, are they contractually obligated to renew for X period of time or give you X notice if they decide that they don't want to be in this space anymore? Great question. Um, typically it's six months. If they wanted to essentially non-renew our program, um, we would have to essentially move our book of business. And that does happen fairly often in program insurance. Uh, niche insurance, bed and breakfast, wineries, golf courses, these kinds of niche insurance work, insurance industries. Um, so we would have to move our book of business um, and we could. We could potentially find a domestic carrier to do it. Um, we could find, uh, there are other markets that would, that would likely take it, but it would come at a cost to us. Uh, we would likely not get as good of commissions that we get now. We would probably have some limitations in coverage, like swimming pools and dog bites and things like that. It would, it would kind of die a slow death, if you will, um, and that does happen. Uh, but so far, so good after four years, and we've got the full support of London and uh, knock on wood. Great question. No one's ever asked me that, Richard. Um, but yeah, it's possible. Yeah, I mean, anything's possible. Uh, but in the meantime, tell us about sort of your growth. Where are you guys now and how much are you underwriting and do you do it uh, just domestically? Yeah, so we are uh, licensed to um, operate in all 50 states. Um, we, um, we grow, we are currently growing at about 600 new policies a month. Uh, and with insurance, you do have attrition, of course. Some people non-renew because they, they have sold their house or they're just not happy with something or it's too expensive or whatever it might be. So you do have some attrition, um, but we're still growing at a, at, a, at a big click, writing about 600 new policies a month. And actually, um, about four months ago, we had been in communication with, with HomeAway. I know a lot of your listeners are Airbnb, but I'm sure a lot no, of no, them. We're on HomeAway and Booking.com. We're everywhere. Awesome, awesome. So yeah, HomeAway had reached out to me. Um, we, we go to all the trade shows. So we go to the VRMA, ResFest, and, and all these industry-specific trade shows. And they had reached out to me and, and said, man, we, you know, we, we want everybody to have your insurance because we get a lot of questions from owners. Um, we get a lot of call-ins. It, it's just a mess, you know, and there's so many insurance carriers, whether it's State Farm, Allstate, Nationwide, USA, Liberty Mutual. I mean, go down the list. Everybody treats them differently, short-term rentals, that is. Some of them have an endorsement where they give you limited coverage. So it's just very confusing. And so over time, I communicated with them and they actually, actually exclusively endorse our product now as the uh, premier carrier for insuring these vacation rental properties. So we should see 
a pretty big uptick in business um, over the next couple years uh, because of that endorsement. And I can tell you the reason they did it, Richard, is because when they get a call into their call center from a client saying, okay, I, I did some research and I talked to my buddy and I called my insurance agent. I told them exactly what I was, I was doing. And they said they're going to cancel my insurance because they don't insure rentals. That's not good for Homeway's business. So they now tell them, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Call proper insurance. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've been uh, very fortunate with the exception of that one ambulance chaser situation. And just to put a, a period at the end of that story, and for people that are listening that have the good fortune of having never been sued, it's an absolute nightmare. Even though you're um, insured and protected and you have lawyers, I can't explain to you how frustrating, uncertain, emotional, it's an emotional thing. Even though I look at business and say it's just business, when somebody's making these allegations and it sounds like they're, whether they're inflating the pain and the injury and the pain and suffering and so on, like you can't help but get emotionally involved and then also concerned and nervous. So in my particular case with that slip and fall, it was kind of interesting. The insurance company as a condition of underwriting my long-term rental multifamily building made me redo the sidewalk and the stoop outside my building within 30 days of purchasing the building. So I dutifully complied and did all that. Uh, like I said, this was in Brooklyn. I hired somebody to stand outside the building all night so that kids wouldn't put their name in, in the mm. sidewalk in the fresh cement. And I thought I was doing everything, you know, exactly what the insurance company asked me to do. But lo and behold, whoever was sitting outside went to the bathroom or cigarette break. And that's when this whole incident sort of occurred. And then we were looking at video cameras and neighbors and across the street. And I mean, it's just an absolute nightmare. But besides all that, I could not believe how long this whole thing took. We were in the courts and depositions and testimony and looking at hospital records and all this stuff and suing the insurance company to, to be there for us. And the whole thing took about five years. Five years of my life, I was dealing with this one made up you know, allegation. And I'm happy to report the judge wouldn't decide whether or not the insurance company had to be there for us. They kept postponing and kept postponing. And then the uh, plaintiff, the person who accused us of you know, doing something wrong, their lawyer somehow miraculously, thankfully, missed like a, a deadline and oh. the case got dismissed after five oh. years because, because he just missed a filing deadline. And the same day that that thing got dismissed, the judge ordered that the insurance company must be there for us and, and you know, underwrite. And so like we escaped scot-free as we rightfully should have, but it took five years of my life. That's exactly right. Your life gets put on hold. It, it really does because it's hard to plan for the future when you have this pending litigation over you. It's, it, I've, I unfortunately have been involved in litigation over years and it's, uh, it is not fun. And another thing your listeners should, um, should take away here, Richard, is attorney's fees. And a lot of people think I maintain my property. I am a reasonable person. I have, you know, a waiver of liability. I have all these precautions that I take. No one could ever sue me. And the thing is, everyone's seen the billboards. You know, if you were injured, call me personal injury attorney, scum of the earth. I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, that even if you're not found, even if you, you're not negligent in anything you're doing, like you, it sounds like you really didn't do anything negligent. You still have to pay for all your attorney's fees when you get sued. And in the, in our contract and any commercial general liability contract, that's included in your coverage. And it's also above and beyond your policy limits. It does not depreciate away from your occurrence limit, which is 1 million above and beyond. So 
Yeah, I mean, hopefully it never happens, but if it does, you need good insurance with your name on it, and you need to ask all the tough questions of your insurance agent. This is why we get paid a commission, um, is to answer these questions. And, and you know, the digital world of click a button and get insured in three seconds, you're taking out the human element of underwriting, and in my opinion, at least in the next 20 years, it's still going to remain in in insurance agents' hands because there's that certain level of trust, and, and you just have to ask all the questions, the right questions. Yeah, completely. So, what about the insurance that uh, Airbnb likes to promote? That they've got, you know, a million dollars, and I think HomeAway does similar. What's your understanding of what that does do or doesn't do? Yeah, no, I understand it very well. Excellent question. And to flash back to this hyper growth, if we go back, uh, you know, six, seven years, something like that, insurance was was an issue again. And so home or excuse me, we'll we'll stick start with Airbnb. Airbnb was brilliant from a standpoint of creating this sense of security through their host guarantee and their host protection program. Um, and it worked. I mean, there's no doubt about it. People people feel that warm and fuzzy seeing, hey, look, I'm covered. I don't need to call my homeowner's insurance. Airbnb's got my back. And the reality, without getting into too much detail, the host, there's two parts, back to the beginning, property and liability. So the property coverage that Airbnb offers is what's called their Airbnb host guarantee. And they say that any damage from a renter is covered up to a million dollars, property damage. Someone throws a party, destroys your house, burns it down, whatever it might be, you're covered. And the reality is, is there is coverage there. I mean, I have seen and heard of plenty times that Airbnb has come out and paid small damage, whether it's some, you know, broken lights or lamps or, Stuff like that. Um, but the problem is the process they put you through. Just like your insurance contract had that section that says give us prompt notice, the, the guidelines to submit and actually receive any compensation from the host guarantee is borderline criminal what they do. In fact, I want to say there's something in there that says you have to report the damage before the guest has checked out, something like that. And so you go, well, wait a second, if I'm a vacation rental on Airbnb and they're already gone, what do you mean I didn't notice the damage until I got there? And then on and on. And what I encourage your listeners to do is to go to our friend Google and type in Airbnb insurance claims and just start to dig through some of the blogs and some of the websites out there of, of horror stories, really, of people trying to collect on the host guarantee. Again, I'm not saying it will never pay out because it has. There, there's documentation they've paid out on some, but it's really a false sense of security, and you should have your own property coverage through your homeowners or condo policy. You already carry had, it. So. Yeah, I had um, attempted to make one claim on uh, property damage, somebody must have hacked into a, a good guest's account and I accepted the reservation and then um, it turned out that it, somebody else showed up and there was a big party in the place and the place was trashed. Not like get on the news trashed, but like homeowner really upset, emotionally disturbed, couldn't believe this happened, feeling violated and, and damaged. Mm -hmm. And so I took all these photos and I contacted Airbnb and I said, you know, I need help with all this. And, you know, I would say that they were sort of interested in helping, but made it so hard that it actually wasn't helpful, right? So it was kind of like, get me the receipt for that coffee table um, and then try and get it clean to get me the receipt for the cleaning. And then if you still can't do it, source the exact same one. And so in the end, I was just kind of like, it's going to cost me a couple thousand dollars or whatever the number was. I'm just going to move on with my life. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to self-insure because I'm not going to spend countless hours jumping through all these hoops and looking for all this stuff. It didn't seem like they were there actually to help me. 
as much as it was to sort of offer a service that if you were patient and organized and had everything and nothing else to do, like they would be there for you. But my experience was not positive. Yeah, and I and we hear that a lot. Um, and it, again, it kind of it kind of depends. Um, we actually had a very large uh, property damage claim from a party. Some guys had a, a rave at this gentleman's property out in Washington, and it, it turned out to be a hundred thousand dollar claim. I mean, they, wow. they literally destroyed his house. And I want to say Airbnb offered him like fifteen thousand dollars. And so uh, again, it's an you need insurance with your name on it. Um, and then the host protection to flip over, so that's property coverage. The host protection is their free liability insurance. And actually, I've never found anything online, and I look a lot on them ever representing a liability claim. So I don't, I don't know um, how good the coverage is, but there are a few things I know. And, and one is it has a $10 million aggregate so I've, I've actually seen a copy of the policy, and it's also through Lloyd's, through the Lloyd's market. Um, it has a $10 million aggregate. So what that means is over the policy period for one year, the policy can't pay out more than $10 million. And if you think across of every all of their, across all their hosts. Yeah, across the entire world. Right. In every country that it's offered. And so that, also, if you go on the website, host protection, they exclude assault and battery. They exclude personal and advertising injury. Um, they exclude a lot of things. So how can they offer this? Well, first they strip down the coverage. So a lot of stuff isn't covered. And the truth is with the liability, you, you have no policy rights unless your name is on the and you just have to have liability with your name on it. If you believe that someone is going to get seriously injured at your property and you're going to send Airbnb an email and their lawyers are going to step up and represent you, I just have to believe that, that you're, you're just not being realistic. But it's great marketing. Right. So I think that the... The next question sort of gets at profitability, right? I think the people that are doing short-term rentals, like myself and, and our listeners, um, are doing it because, one, they enjoy the community and, and hosting people in their area and so on. But two, uh, this is a significant motivator, uh, it's quite profitable relative to long-term rentals, right? Like we get paid for our efforts. It's a lot more work with turnover and answering questions and managing and hosting and so on. Uh, but it's enough compensation that it makes it worthwhile. I maintain that over time, uh, as you take a look at maturing markets, we will get less and less of a premium and you'll start to find people that say, oh, it's too much work, it's not worth it for me. So the basis of my question is, if your insurance is about 50 or 60% more than um, people are paying currently, even though they may not have actual insurance, they think they do, that's a big number for people to stomach and to look at it and say, wow, I need to host, let's say your insurance is $3,000 and now it's $5,000. That's $2,000 of expense. So that could be 20 nights at $100 a night just to cover that. You know, that, or it's a big number. How, how are you getting people comfortable and or are people able to raise their price somehow by saying we're properly insured in your liability? Because as a guest, if I go stay in someone's house and they're not insured and I, do, I trip and fall and the person's negligent, if they don't have proper insurance, I'm suing the person. And I have no idea what their credit profile is or what their asset profile is. They may have a really nice big home and be completely broke. The home may not even be theirs. It's probably the banks. Yeah, and and th that's a great question. And 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 not everybody wants to pay more for to upgrade their insurance. Um, Hundred percent. I mean, it's. 
kind of one of those things but it, it depends i mean we're not always that much more expensive like for condos let's just say you you own a vacation rental condo your condo policy is right now 300 bucks a year it's fairly inexpensive our condo policy is 600 bucks a year so it's 300 bucks you know over the course of the year it's a no-brainer we write a ton of condo business um, from the example of 3000 to 5000 you know, that's a much nicer home and, you know, you get a lot of upgrades like coverage for bed bugs and business income. That's another one where people are willing to pay more. So you speak to the income that it generates and you're absolutely right. Some people make $30,000, $40,000 a year, fifty renting out this vacation home. Well, what happens if there's a broken water pipe and you get into an insurance mess and all of a sudden you can't rent your property for six months during your prime time? You're out that money and everybody lives to the money that they make and then they're really in a pickle. And so they can justify buying proper insurance for that reason alone. Some people buy it and they say, well, I actually am okay with spending $1,500 a year more because I know my income's covered and I don't make as much money, absolutely, but I've got liability, property, income, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's a decision that people have to make for sure. And it's a rude awakening for a lot of people too. Unfortunately, they kind of go, man, I wish I wouldn't have called you because, you know, we didn't know. But at the end of the day, we don't want them to buy our insurance unless they feel good about it. And it sounds kind of cliche. But we say we want you to feel good about writing that $3,000 check or having your escrow pay your $3,000, $4,000 insurance premium. You know, sleep better at night, feel good about it, and raise your price by five bucks a night or whatever it is if you decide to do that. But what's the point in paying for a homeowner's policy that's going to do nothing for you if anything ever happens? Right. Like if you're a full time Airbnb host, at some point, something's going to happen. So, you know, if you're 100%. if you're if you if this is your primary home and you rent it out for a week a year when you go visit your sister in Maui, it's still possible that something could happen. But the probabilities are lower versus if you're a 52 week a year host and this is an investment property and there's people coming and going all the time. Um, one more question, and then I think what we're going to do is thank you for your time and head over to our paid members who are going to pick your brain about their specific questions, and uh, we really appreciate you doing that. But my question for you is, do you have to own the home for proper insurance to underwrite? There's a lot of people in the short-term rental space that are doing this uh, rental arbitrage where they sign a lease and then they let it out on uh, Airbnb or HomeAway for more money. So is there a requirement on your underwriting that you are actually the homeowner? Another good question. Uh, no. So we do insure a lot of the, we call them re-rents in our office because you're renting it long-term and then re-renting it on air. Kind of stuck. But the arbitrage master lease model. So no, um, we insure a lot of those business owners because that's what they are. They're running a business and they're buying a business policy. And on condos, we typically just do contents coverage, income, and liability. It's going to cost you about 500 bucks, 550 a year annually. So very easy to justify. We don't see as many on single family homes, um, but if you're long-term renting a single family home and then turning around and managing it homeway or Airbnb, you have two choices. You can buy the full policy, building contents income liability, or the owner, the person who actually owns the home, already carries landlord insurance for fire so you can just do your stuff contents income and liability which ends up being a lot less expensive and it kind of depends some people want to bring in the owner on the deal and go hey we want to add you as additionally insured on the policy this is a partnership it, every situation is kind of different but to answer your question yes we we insure a lot of the re-renters or the arbitrage model. Got it. Now, of course, that, that assumes that the renters are doing it properly and the landlord is aware. There's a lot of people that 
sort of omit that fact when they rent the place in the first place? Well, some don't. I mean, we don't ask because at the end of the day, we're not underwriting the owner. We're underwriting the property and the person buying it. And I'm sure there's plenty of people who have our policy um, where the actual owner of the property doesn't, doesn't know. Um, it's usually a telltale sign when they say, you need to add the owner as additionally insured on the policy and send me a certificate so I can show it to them. I think more and more people are leaning towards that in letting the owner of the property know what's going on. Um, but, you know, there's still probably some out there that fly under the radar. Yeah, I'm not an advocate of that, just for the record. No, um, no way. Are you kidding me? It's yeah. just a matter of time. We have enough regulation right. coming down. Exactly. Cool. Well, listen, Darren, I think this has been really, really interesting, super helpful, uh, incredibly useful for people that are looking to do this the right way for the long term um, with, with uh, minimal risk and proper insurance and uh, really appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you want to leave us with before we hop over to the paid member session? Um, no, the only thing I would say is spend a few minutes and cruise our website and read some of our actual claims reviews. We have some incredible claims reviews from the forest fires in California, uh, business income claims, water damage claims. And, and you know, if you're thinking about, um, you know, getting a quote, you can do it right on our website and, and we sell through education. So just take your time. But cruise around our website, uh, it would be www.proper.insure, I-N-S-U-R-E. And, um, and that's it. Spend some time on the website. Awesome. Darren Pettyjohn, Proper Insurance, thank you so much for your time and your education. You guys are doing a great service for the people that are using you, and I think your business will continue to thrive and grow as this space continues to thrive and grow. So thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, have a great night. So that does it for another episode of the STRU Podcast. As always, all links mentioned are in the show notes below. And if you found this show helpful, please leave a review on iTunes. If you're serious about short-term rental investing, be sure to check out str.university. Till next time.